I, I really love Luke 11, verse 1, where one of the disciples has observed, or in fact, perhaps all the disciples have observed Jesus, but we see one of the disciples go up to Jesus after observing Jesus pray. Now, these guys were well-versed in prayer, but they'd observed Jesus pray, and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, I love this time of the year where we have the opportunity to, I suppose, reevaluate our priorities and to consider what is really important. What things do we want to make count in the year that is in front of us? Uh, the beginning of the year provides an opportunity to reassess, doesn't it? And for the believer, there are a few things more important than prayer. More important than prayer. I am really excited on Sunday the 3rd of February to launch what is going to be a theme for our entire year. And this has been something that's been months in preparation and Bron's hearing about it almost daily. Um, No one else in the church has heard about it yet. The leadership team will hear about it the day before Okay, on Saturday the 2nd. I'm so excited. I believe it's going to be wonderful for all of us. So we kind of have two Sundays before the launch of the theme, which will kind of take us through the entire year. And so we have these two Sundays, today and next Sunday, before we launch into officially, if you like, the church calendar year. And uh, so I thought, well, let's, let's get back to basics. Let's talk about prayer. And next Sunday, we're going to talk about God's Word. And there are so many passages in Scripture that talk about the wonderful benefits of feeding on God's Word and living by God's Word, and in fact, to be people uh, that are feeding regularly on His Word. Um, So this morning, I invite you, it won't be new, we've, many of us, all of us have heard the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure, time and time again. We've probably heard countless sermons. You're not necessarily going to hear anything this morning that you haven't heard before, but that's fine. I trust that over the next two weeks, we'll be inspired to really engage meaningfully in prayer and in reading God's Word or making God's Word, you know, dieting on God's Word something that we do regularly. These things um, are not the works of what it is to be a Christian. These disciplines, actually, as Dallas Willard said, they place us before God. Um, God's word and spending time in prayer place us before God. Now, the priority for every believer, I was really challenged and convicted by this on the 1st of January, is that when it comes to setting goals and when it comes to setting priorities, well, Jesus has already put it out there for us. (laughs) Matthew 6.33, we are to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and then everything will be added to us. Um, So, One of the ways that we can be people who seek God's kingdom first is, of course, to be people of prayer, to be people of prayer who are regularly putting ourselves before the Father, listening to him and communing with him and humbling ourselves before him. But also if we're to be people who understand God's kingdom and how God's kingdom operates, we need to be familiarizing ourselves with the ways of the kingdom uh, through God's word and in particular through the gospels that we'll be looking at. So the next two Sundays, we're kind of, in a sense, getting back to the basics of prayer and God's word, a good place for us to start. You know, daily disciplines become 
healthy habits. And some disciplines are a bit challenging and are a little bit hard, and they may not necessarily come easy, and they may not necessarily be things that we like to do. But after a while, once you've actually formed a habit, it can become a really good and healthy thing. So several months ago, I had a conviction that I needed to start flossing more regularly. Flossing for me was kind of an optional extra. Um, and, and I might at very best floss once a week, once a fortnight, once a month. And I'm not sure why. It wasn't, it wasn't because of a, a nasty dental bill. Um, but I, th- there was some kind of catalyst and I thought, I really need to start flossing daily. I, I really would like to do this. If the experts advise it, well, I need to heed their advice. And I'll probably save myself a lot of problems further on down the track. So I just started practicing of, you know, taking that little bit of extra time of flossing. And within no time, it's become a habit that I don't even think about. I do it every single night and it's just part of my routine. I reach for the floss before I reach for my toothbrush. And that's just a really, really simple example to say, when we think about prayer and we think about reading God's word, we may not be in that disciplined habit of doing it regularly. But we can get there if we make it a priority. And it might be hard for us at first. We might think, oh, I don't really have the time. Or, you know, I've I've got too, too many other things. Or I don't want it to become legalistic. I'm sure there's all kinds of reasons and excuses. But the reality is daily disciplines become healthy habits. And so... Is not prayer and and feeding on God's word a healthy habit for the believer? Absolutely it is. So let us commit ourselves to be people who have the healthy habit of communing with God in prayer and regularly feeding on his word. Not just on a Sunday when we come and hear Murray or Joel or whoever preach, but in fact that we ourselves are feeding on God's word and growing um, as followers of Jesus. I love this verse. If you're ever to memorize a Bible verse, here's the one to memorize. It is literally two words. Pray continually. You'll probably have more trouble memorizing where it's from than what the verse itself actually says. Uh, But Paul says, pray continually. Pray continually. And and there's a sense that as believers, we we are to be in constant conversation with God, And that's one of our vision statements, isn't it? To engage in constant conversation with Father God because we know that he answers prayer. What I like about this pray continually verse is there's a sense that it, it's so pervasive and it, it's kind of all consuming, but at the same time, it's also very simple and it's just continual and ongoing. It's not something that one has to sort of formalise And so, right, I'm going to spend half an hour in prayer at this time. Uh, There are very legitimately times where we do set aside times to very fervently pray. And we we put that into our calendar. Maybe we prioritise coming to the upper room. Or maybe we do set aside a portion of time each morning or each evening where we do come and pray. But this verse here just seems to indicate that almost as, as you go about your lives, be prayerful. Be constantly mindful of God's presence with you, in you, and your desire to be his servant and to live for him. It sounds very accessible in that sense, that just as you're going about your regular day-to-day activities, you're in constant conversation with the Lord, engaging with him, Lord, help me with this. Lord, I give that to you. 
Just really, really simple stuff. Pray continually. What do we pray? And I suppose that's where the Lord's Prayer, as we've come to know it, is so helpful because it really is the model prayer. Uh, the disciple came and said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And I, I oftentimes feel as though it's a prayer that because it can become so routine, we perhaps um, disconnect a little from it um, and somehow think that, well, we're fine with prayer. We'll just pray how we normally pray. But I think it's good for us to keep coming back to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and actually to consider, well, what what content should my prayers contain? What has Jesus himself suggested? So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, we kind of, Jesus sets the scene. Um, This is part of his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And we read, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not... Keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows that you need before what, need, know what you need before you ask him. When I read those few verses, it says to me that at this particular point of time in culture and history, there were a lot of prayers being offered up, particularly in the public space. There were the prayers offered up by the pagans, not obviously prayers not to God and Heavenly Father. Yahweh, but there were prayers being offered to pagan gods, but there were also the prayers of the Pharisees, kind of these long, extravagant prayers. And Jesus is going to offer an alternate third way to pray. And in those kind of, um, pre- in the pretext for before he actually gets into the content of the prayer itself, he's essentially talking about your motive in prayer, uh, the length of prayer, and indeed the place where prayer takes place. And so what we see from Jesus is that at the end of the day, the motive ha- is not about what others would think of us. And particularly for those of us when we do prayers in a corporate setting, which Jesus totally affirms and does, um, we can perhaps sometimes get a little bit caught up in thinking about what others might think. But Jesus actually says it's not about what others think. It's, it's actually about your heart motive before the Father. That's what prayer is about. So if you struggle to pray corporately, firstly, that's okay and that's normal and we're not going to ask you to come and lead the whole congregation in prayer but maybe a growth for you would be in a small group setting or of your bible study to actually just begin to engage in some prayer um, remembering that it's actually not about what other people think but it's about what God sees so prayer is about just offering your heart to God I love praying with others because I feel as though it grows my heart for them. When I hear people pray corporately, I hear their heart yearning to God. And that does something for me. I'm not sure about you, but prayer has a way of actually unifying the body of Christ. And so I know I've been in many groups where some people will say, well, I don't pray in public and I'll just check out. But you've kind of missed the point. 
Firstly, I think you're preventing others from uh, communing with you and communing with God. There's something spiritual that takes place there. Uh, but also, we should, we should, as disciples, be on a journey of growing. <laughs> and so that means sometimes we're going to be pushed outside of our comfort zone. And so I encourage you in that way. Also, it's not the length that matters. Certainly, sometimes prayers can and need to be lengthy. Um, but other times, they can be really short. There's no rule book here when it comes to the length of the prayer. It's about the content of the prayer and the motive of the prayer. And then finally, in terms of the place, when Jesus says, go to your inner room, again, we might read that and consider that to be like a private study or, you know, a a sacred kind of space that you have in your home. And if you do have such a space, wonderful. But that's not what Jesus was meaning when he said that because the way that the homes were designed and built in those days, they didn't have all of those separate rooms. It's actually talking about the inner recess of your heart. Again, it's, it's actually about just being present with God. So if you think about when you go out for dinner, for example, and you're in a restaurant and you're sitting at your table, you're surrounded by other people, but you're present with the person that you're having a meal with. It's the same with God when we pray. Of course, it's wonderful to have those times of private, quiet prayer But it's also okay, and if we're to be people who pray continually, well, that's not going to happen, is it, all the time? And so there's a sense of just being free to pray wherever you are, but when you do pray, just be present in your heart towards God. The verse that we read from Luke chapter 1, which I started with, is where the disciple comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this disciple, we don't know who it was, but he already knew how to pray, but he didn't quite know how to pray like Jesus prayed. And here's what I get from that verse. A disciple of Jesus is constantly wanting to learn, to grow, and to change. They are not content with the status quo. And so even though all of us have heard the Lord's Prayer many, many a time, uh, as we embark upon a new year, I want to say to you this morning, I invite you to have a posture of a student, of a learner, to say, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray like you pray. So as we get into the Lord's Prayer, I just invite you to bring that, that openness to say, Lord, even if it's just one thing this morning, would you teach me so that I might pray more like Jesus? The first line in the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father in heaven. And what we see here is that Jesus is inviting us to connect relationally with God. I'm amazed at how much is in just this first line. What it, first of all, says to us and suggests is that our relationship with God is one that is familial. It's one that is intimate. It's one where we can be real. I would like to think that if you saw me in my natural home environment, you would see the same person. But there would be times when you would see me lose my cool, Uh, where you would see me get frustrated, where you would see me feeling really tired and lazy and unmotivated, um, where you would see me lose my cool. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we're just to bring our real self. So part of what I've just described to you is just part of the real Joel. 
I try, you know, who you see me, you see me up here on the stage and, and, and certainly, as I said, I hope you would see the same person. But when I come here, I, I want to present my best and I'm mindful that I'm here amongst men and women of God and I'm wanting to serve and all the rest. But isn't it true for all of us? When we're at home and we're feeling tired and we're feeling exhausted, we don't, we don't bring our best self in those moments, do we? But what we see in this prayer is that it's familial. And family is a place where we can actually just be real, where we let the guard down. And sometimes we just say it how it is. We may not have a lot of energy. And so the first instance here is that prayer is to be relational. We're just to bring our real selves to our Father. And sometimes that real self may not be a very nice self. But I don't know about you, but when I'm not a very nice self, if I can humble myself to pray... It's like, wow, a switch, something changes very quickly because all of a sudden I'm submitting myself before my Heavenly Father. So when we pray, we be real, we be relational, we recognise that we're invited into a relationship. The next thing that we recognise here is that prayer is communal, that the Lord assumes that prayer will be done with other brothers and sisters in the faith. And again, this is why I suggest for you that it's good for us to pray corporately together, um, whether it is when we gather on a Sunday or whether it's in a different setting. It's really good for us as God's people to pray with others. That will grow you in your prayer life. So I encourage you as often as you can, as regularly as you can, pray with others. Prayer starts with God. Very quickly we can get into our prayer lists, can't we, without actually pausing and stopping to think about who it is indeed we're praying for. And the prayer acknowledges that God is in heaven. And what that suggests to us is that he is the creator. He is above everything. So God is so magnificent and mighty and wonderful, and yet he is also accessible. He is Father. And some of us will struggle with that word, Father. If we've had a difficult experience with our earthly father, then even saying the word father might be problematic. We want to be sensitive for all who find themselves in that situation. But this verse does not suggest that God is in any way or shape abusive or not present or even literally a male. What is being conveyed here is that sense of parental love and concern and approachability. And so we're to come to God in that way and in that context. We shouldn't just cut and paste our own earthly experience onto God. If anything, we need to redefine what fatherhood looks like by looking at the father heart of God. The prayer then enters into sort of now that the prayer has established who we're praying to and where God resides, the prayer kind of neatly breaks into um, these six requests and the first three are all to do with God. They're all to do with the priority of his name, his rule and his will. And then the final three relate to, to our needs and our situations. After we've acknowledged who God is, We then worship his name. The first place we begin is to worship. Hallowed be your name. To hallow God's name means to make God's name holy, to recognize that his name is set apart. There is no other name 
like the name of our Lord. It's recognizing that he is glorious and that his glory ought to be extended, that we want his name to be known amongst all of the nations. It can be helpful for us to familiarize ourselves with the names of God. There are all types of different names of God. Here are some Old Testament names of God. And I wouldn't expect you, I certainly wouldn't be necessarily, kind of um, speaking these Hebrew names, but what they mean. So El Elyon, the Lord Most High, Jehovah Ra, the Lord My Shepherd, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Lord, you are there in this circumstance that I'm really struggling with. Thank you that you are the God who is there. Jehovah Siddikenku, the Lord, our righteousness. God, thank you that you are my righteousness. There's no righteousness within myself, but because of Jesus, I have his righteousness. I thank you for that. You are my righteousness, God. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. God, you are my peace. I praise your holy name. Your name is a name of peace. So hallowed be your name is a wonderful opportunity for us to worship God, but in particular to worship his name. It's also a call to action. We cannot say hallowed be your name and then go and live sinfully and unrighteously. Because God chooses to make his name known through his people. It's the way God has chosen to reveal himself, isn't it? Through the church. And so by praying, hallowed be your name, we are actually in, we are saying we will participate in bringing about the holiness of your name by the way that we live our lives. Help us, help us to live those righteous lives that you call us to. Thirdly, it's God's agenda first, not my agenda. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to begin with God's priorities. And that's where familiarizing ourselves regularly with the scriptures is so important because it constantly keeps us in front of God's heart and God's priorities. So I remember when Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And then I'm reminded, how faithfully am I praying for those I know who are lost? So easily and so quickly, my prayers can become consumed with my own situation and needs and desires. It's very normal and very human. But Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. This wonderful prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray teaches us to prioritize God's values, God's priorities first and foremost. God desires that his king, it, the prayer teaches us to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's helpful for us, again, to think about the hallmarks of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is a kingdom of truth. So wherever we see lies, we pray that truth would prevail over the lies. That's a kingdom prayer. Wherever there is injustice that we see, we pray that God's justice would prevail, that his kingdom would come. When we see something that is, that is ugly and distasteful, we pray that the beauty of the kingdom would inbreak into that place, that God's kingdom would come. Whenever we see cruelty, we pray that God's compassion would break in. Wherever we see hatred, we pray that love would abound. This is what it means to pray, your kingdom come. And again, 
It's a call to action. We cannot pray these things if we are not prepared to be the hands and feet that bring truth and justice and beauty and compassion and love. God's kingdom is so different to this world, but it is such a beautiful, attractive thing when you think about it, isn't it? Truth and beauty and compassion and justice and love. These are the hallmarks of God's kingdom. Lord, let your kingdom come and use me as an instrument this day to bring about these hallmarks. We then turn towards our own needs and desires. Give us today our daily bread. And this here is a prayer of acknowledgement that God is our provider and our sustainer. In the Mediterranean, the, the Middle East, the bread is kind of the staple part of every meal. And in a sense, give us our daily bread is saying, give us everything we need, everything we need to survive. And we have more than enough to survive, don't we? We're so fortunate. It's an opportunity for us to thank God and to acknowledge God as our provider and as our sustainer. I also find that this is a wonderful time and opportunity for us to think about those who don't find themselves with enough. And in fact, to spend a moment prayerfully praying and considering their needs. Remember Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all God's. It's already his. Anything that you and I have, it's all God's. We just take a moment to acknowledge that it's his and thank him. When you find yourself in need, turn to God. Turn to God. But then trust him. So much harder to do than say, isn't it? But trust him. He will provide. He is faithful. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This part of the prayer invites us to get our heart right with God and right with people. And we're to think about things perhaps that we may have not done just as much as we think about things that we have done that have brought dishonour to God's name. There are many times when perhaps we could have acted to bring about God's kingdom, but we chose not to because it was difficult or uncomfortable. And we humbly seek God's forgiveness. We know 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful promise, a yes and amen promise that if we confess our sins God is faithful and just. But this prayer of seeking God's forgiveness does come with an expectation that we will model forgiveness ourselves. We cannot go to God and ask for his forgiveness and then be unforgiving towards those who have wronged us. We're to be people who receive and offer forgiveness. We are to model what we ask for. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're to seek spiritual protection. We're to armour up. We're to put on that spiritual armour, recognising that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Recognise that you and I are fallen, broken people who are prone to sin. Recognise the power and the authority that Satan does have in this world and that he will be seeking to do whatever he can to steal, kill and destroy. And to recognise that God has given us the spiritual armour, 
the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. We're to armor up, we're to be ready, prepare ourselves for all the spiritual attacks that are to come. And then this final part that we know so well, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever isn't in the scriptures. It's a piece that's been added on. But what it does is it declares that all rule, all might, all victory belongs to you, God. And again, it's a statement of total confidence and trust in God's ability to do what he said he will do. And we can trust, we can leave all of our prayers with him. The Lord's Prayer, brothers and sisters, shapes our priorities. Our priorities ought to be God's name, God's kingdom and God's will. The Lord's Prayer shapes our character. It humbles us before our creator, sustainer, provider and redeemer. And the Lord's Prayer ensures that we model the forgiveness that we have received so graciously from God. May we be a people of prayer the way that Jesus taught us to pray. I'd love to close by sharing with you the Lord's Prayer, just a revised edition written by Dallas Willard from his beautiful book, The Divine Conspiracy. Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today and forgive us our sins and impositions on you as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad because you are the one in charge and you have all the power and all the glory too is all yours forever which is just the way we want it. Amen.